This is the Sharp End Podcast. I'm Ashley, the creator of the show. It is Christmas Eve, and I am finishing up editing this episode as I sit at the base of Cotopaxi in Ecuador. It's pretty fun to look up at a mountain I climbed nine years ago as I edit this episode for you. This episode is the last episode of 2022. I hope you can all reflect on your last year as you welcome a happy new year to come. This show would not be possible without Rocky Talkies. Reach out to them and say thank you, or better yet, support their business by buying a pair of radios to use on your backcountry adventures. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by two climbers from Denver, Colorado. These radios are extremely lightweight, durable, and more affordable than any other backcountry radio on the market. I use my radios on all of my adventures. If you like discounts, get 10% off your radios by going to rockytalkie.com slash sharp end. Special thank you to Walt and Philip Wadlow, a father-son climbing team who consistently encouraged me to continue producing this podcast and have shown their support on Patreon. Bringing it back to last summer, it was a Tuesday on July 26th, 2022. My guest today, Taylor, wanted to release some school stress by heading out to climb with his best friend. They went out to climb the Odyssey on the sun wall at Looking Glass Rock in North Carolina. The Odyssey is a five-pitch traditional route that is rated 511 minus on Mountain Project. And I'll let Taylor tell you the rest. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, my, my name is Taylor Fields. I'm a 27-year-old um, college student here at the University of North Carolina, Asheville. I moved to the area three years ago and took up rock climbing shortly after. Um, but first and foremost, I kind of want to say thank you to a host of people. Um, Clay Sykes for being the best mentor and friend a young man could ever ask for. Lisa Sykes for being a second mother to me and going above and beyond the call of duty. Karen and Philip for their continued love and support. Graham Phillips, Ben Keegan, Jacob, Zach Mintz, Karsten DeLapp for helping me endure the accident and facilitate the ensuing rescue, and for all the emergency responders and their associated organizations, Brevard Fire Department, Cedar Mountain Fire Rescue, Conistee Fire Rescue, Lake Togsway Rescue, Little River Fire Department, North Transylvania Fire Rescue, Rosman Fire Rescue, Transylvania County Emergency Management, and Transylvania County Fire Marshal helped evacuate me and get me to the hospital in an extremely efficient manner. And last but not least, my brother John Henry, who has moved in with me and put his life on pause to cater to my needs. From driving me to class every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, to cooking my meals and picking up all the hard work I have been unable to do on my own, I really love you, and I know I can be hard of showing it. To wrap this up, I'm eternally indebted to each and every person mentioned above and so, so thankful for their support on July 26th and today, October 13th much love. Wow, Taylor, that thanks for introing with that. That's that's really moving and it's really amazing how many people and how many organizations it took um to surround you with support. So, that's really exciting and I'm grateful for all those people too. So, thank you so much. Yeah, and like a little bit of the backstory, um so it's Tuesday, July 26th, um I'm studying for a final exam this summer, and I'm really stressed out about it, so my normal stress release is to either go mountain bike or to rock climb, and that night I chose, hey, let's go rock climb in the morning, so 
Good choice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, I shoot a text message to my best friend Graham Phillips and send him a overview of the route I'd like to try in the morning. That was called the Odyssey, located on the sun wall at Looking Glass. And um, yeah, it's not really known for having a lot of easy climbs. It kind of caters towards the hard men of North Carolina that I found out after the fact. Um, definitely wouldn't consider myself a hard man by any stretch of the imagination, but at the time, I definitely let my ego get in the way of my actual ability and really should have treated that climb like a final exam in itself, not as just a simple way to go out and blow off steam. And I feel like I didn't give it the proper respect it deserved. And mm. in turn, um, it didn't show me the respect that it deserved to show me. And mm. that's kind of how I feel like this accident ensued. But we met up um, at the hub parking lot at 630 and in about an hour and a half, we were at the Sunwall staring up at a five-pitch, multi-pitch trad route that's all traditional, um, placing your own gear. And I had made a plan to link pitch one and two together, thinking that, okay, um, there actually are two bolts located at the end of pitch two that are for a different route. But once I'm able to get up there, I can either assess my partner's ability to climb it or I can just rappel down from there. And that's as far as I thought it out. And you and, and you and your best friend who are climbing this route together, you've climbed before. We had. And um, in fact, um, he had had a uh, injury playing football. He was a stud football high school player, um, broke his hand and actually had to have surgery. So when we first became fast friends, he was not able to rock climb because his hand was recuperating. So we did things like train for triathlons together, just run, swim, do everything but climb. And over the past six months, he moved up to Minneapolis for an internship and just fell in love with going to the climbing gym. So I flew up to Minneapolis in early July and we went out to Devil's Lake, Wisconsin and did some single pitch um, kind of adventure routes there. Again, no bolts, all traditional gear. And just had an absolute blast. We um, finished that at three in the morning, drove directly to Red Rocks, not Red Rocks, um, <laughs> the Red River Gorge, and then did a bunch of sc sport climbing for the next two days. So as far as knowing him goes, I knew him extremely well as a person, his character and his attitude, but we didn't have as much climbing history as needed to take on the route, the Odyssey. And that mm -hmm. was completely my fault looking back on it he was in no position to be on that route. And that was strictly my lack of judgment. And looking back at it, you know, uh, climbing is a closed loop system. You're on one side, your partner's on the other. You want a partner that, I mean, you may not even like him, but you want him to be confident in his ability and him to be confident in your ability. And while I'm fully capable and confident in Graham, um, we honestly just had no business being on that route. We could have easily spent the rest of the summer, you know, plugging gear on five, seven, five, eight, five, nine routes and just getting uh, our systems dialed in, getting everything we needed um, to go conquer the Odyssey, to give it the respect it deserved and to really finish that route. And through my lapse of judgment, I just didn't recognize that at the time. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, I start up the first pitch and it's 510 direct start. Um, I distinctly remember placing uh, a couple cams in the first 20 feet of climbing, which really was the probably the crux of the whole deal. And then um, I work up into this crack system that's, I would say, probably 100 feet long. And I place a green totem at the bottom of it that that's good. And at this point, I started the climb. I had 20 pieces of gear on my rack and probably eight alpine draws. I'm climbing up the crack. It's like five, nine plus. I'm, I'm going with a little bit of speed, feeling really confident. Everything's working out. And then I get up to kind of the top of the crack and I realize that, okay, this is where the guidebook said to build a gear belay. And I skipped that. I said, you know, I've got the gear on me to keep going. Um, I'm going to stick to my plan and link these two pitches together. And what I didn't know at the time was I was essentially climbing past my halfway point in the rope. And that was going to come into a big um, effect later on. So I continued climbing. I then place a number four, C4, and it's absolutely bomber. But then I look up and realize it's the only piece on my rack that's going to fit the rest of this crack. So I sit for a moment and think, okay, what are my options? And I decide, you know what? I'm climbing so well that I'm just going to start bumping this cam. So I would take my left foot, wedge it up in the crack, get my right arm, wedge it, reach down below my legs with my left hand, take the cam out, and reach it and place it above my head. No problem for the first six or seven times I do this and move about 20 feet higher. So you're bumping that one cam over and over and over again. Over and over, yes ma'am. Just just repeatedly bumping it until I finally get to the point and realize, hey man, this, this cam is really the only piece of cam between you and the ground at this point. And maybe that green totem that's now probably 40 feet below at the bottom of the crack. So I thought, okay, I'm starting to get a little nervous at this point. I mean, it's extremely exposed climb. You're at, you know, 3,500 feet looking out into the valley of Pisgah below, the winds blowing, the sun shining. This really isn't a route that you want to get on, you know, on July 26th. It's probably something you'd want to get on when humidity's low, temperature's low, and my hands are starting to sweat. I'm starting to really think, um, wow, you know, maybe there was a reason I should have belayed down there, but I guess I didn't analytically process this at the time. So I decide, okay, this cam's so good that I'm going to place it here, and I'm going to see if I can bounce out right onto the slab that seemed a little bit easier going than the continuing up the next 20 foot of crack. It was starting to lean back, not quite overhanging, but definitely more difficult than a, you know, a roughly a 70 degree crack where you can kind of just meander your way up it. So I, I break out right for the first time and I realize that the slab section is even harder, even though it's probably an easier grade but because I've used up so much time and energy, and now that my hands are starting to sweat, that I have a better chance of traversing back down, reestablishing myself in the crack, 
and I made the mistake of not reassessing what I should have done. In hindsight, the smart move would have been to just repel off of that number four, come back to the bottom, you know, and come back and finish the route another day. But I let my ego get the best of me, and I said, you know what? This piece is going to hold me. I'm just going to, the only way out is up. So. But you had, you said earlier that you had about 20, 20 pieces of gear on your rack and then a bunch of quick draws. So did you use all those pieces before and you only had that one can that you were bumping up or did you just decide not to place more gear? So let me look at this. So I had 20 when I started. When I first, when I first did the direct start, I probably placed five pieces. And then by the time I get into the crack system, I've placed a green totem. I've placed a yellow C4. I think I've placed a uh, red C4 as well. So at this point, I believe I probably had like maybe 12 pieces of gear on my rack when I'm up here at the um, shark belay fin where they would like me to belay. But looking back on it, like it's actually, I'm glad I wrote down everything in the hospital, but from my notes, it says by now, all I have on my rack is one Alpine draw, two 180 centimeter Petzl slings, one yellow BDZ4, one red Metolius TCU, one yellow Metolius, one red Metolius TCU, a gray BDC4, and a blue BDC4, and a purple BDC4. So at this point, when I've established the um, number four, only have six pieces of gear left on and one Alpine draw. So I've used up all my Alpine draws. And yeah, and looking up in the crack, I I knew none of these pieces would fit going forward. Right. Yeah. But, and I only estimated I only had another 35 to 50 feet of climbing. And as I started climbing up above that number four, it started getting more overhanging. And I'm just more stressed out at this point hands are sweating more feet feel like they're not gripping as much and I finally look in the back of the crack and it kind of is constricting down but still flaring so just to help my mindset I placed that gray BDC4 and it was very undercammed and I placed my last alpine draw on it so at this point I believe I had maybe 20 more feet of the crack before I could essentially reach a ledge that would allow me to um, traverse over to the anchors and finish the plan I had originally started. Well, now I'm sitting here with this really um, mental piece of gear. It, there's no way it was going to hold a fall. And I decide now I need to break out onto the slab again. So I break out onto the slab. I climb up maybe a body length or two and um, Looking Glass is known for its unique features called eyebrows. It's like a weird way the water runs off of the rock. It creates these horizontal eyebrows that they're either really good for pieces of gear or they're extremely flaring and that's why a lot of people use tri-cams. Um, but I didn't have any on my rack at the time and for the time being, I just took my, um, it's actually a blue Metolius. I know I said I didn't have that on the rack, but looking back, it was a blue Metolius zero. I placed it into the flaring horizontal and I knew it was also a mental piece of gear, but it helped me get my Elvis leg 
from shaking so bad. And at this point, I didn't have another draw, so I had to clip directly to the piece. And this created an extreme amount of rope drag, and I would estimate I was 160 feet above the ground at this point. We're climbing on a 70-meter rope. So I can um, actually hear Graham talking to two people that have walked up below. Um, come to find out they'll play a crucial part in the rescue later. But this was really messing with my mindset, you know, like hearing hearing him speak with these people below me. Because you thought maybe he wasn't giving you the full attention. Yeah, and and, and again, this is on, this is my responsibility, you know. I should have set some ground rules, like, hey, man, like I could have yelled, like, hey, you know, watch me. But because of my mistake by wanting to link pitch one and pitch two, I'm 160 feet above him, slightly up a slab, so he can't see me. And really couldn't hear me very well, even if I yelled at him. And I, I figured, you know, that would just be a bad call. So anyway, that's not helping the headspace. I put in this um, blue metolius. I climb up another body length. And maybe 10 feet to my right, at a 45 degree angle, I can see the two bolts that are from this adjacent route. And they're just so tantalizingly close, I can like almost taste them, you know. Like, God, just please let me get over to those bolts. And then I just cannot bring myself to make this one move. It's, I mean, I would like to say it's like five ten, but realistically, I bet it was like a five eight slab move, like no big deal. Right. But my hands are greasy. My feet are slipping. I'm at this point, just trying to look at the horizon line, take deep breaths and say, you know what, man, you got this. And I decided I didn't have it, tried to make the move, my left foot slips, so then I say, I'm going to down climb back to that gray C4, and then just get back into that crack system. And, and how far is it to down climb to the C4? At, at this point, I think it's probably 25 feet, maybe. Like, of crack climbing. Of of. A little bit, probably 10 foot of slab climbing, and then the rest of the 15 feet would be the, the crack. So, yeah. And I just try to down climb, and as soon as I try, my feet blow. I feel that rope come tight. The um, Montolius blows out, just boom. It sounds like a rifle shot, honestly. Um, I fall to the next gray C4, same thing, goes tight, boom. And, and at that this pops. Yes, ma'am. And at this point, I have, I'm not thinking anything. Like everybody wants that asks me is like, hey, man, did your life flash before your eyes? Like, nah, actually, no, not at all. Um, That first piece popped and I thought, shit. The second piece popped and I thought, oh boy. And then I just distinctly remember falling for what felt like a very long time. Yeah. And when the rope finally gets taut, it feels like, um, you basically lassoed a tree of a, and have attached it to your car and are like trying to pull yourself out of the mud. Like it is just tight as all get out. And um, I'm assessing myself, like touching my arms, touching my head. Um, look at my leg, left leg, you're good. Look at my right leg and it's on backwards. I'm like, okay, um, I can't believe this just happened. I've took a fall. I'm alive, but 
I'm looking at my tibia and fibia and talus um, completely outside of the skin. And bone bone was outside of the skin. Yes, com- completely um, <sighs> compounded. And, yeah. and so I knew to remain calm. So I at this point, I'm probably 40 feet above Graham. And the guys he's talking with, they still can't see me because of the way the route works. They just, they still don't have eyes on me. And they said when I fell, it sounded like a tree snapping. So we assumed that was my leg. But they go, hey, are you okay? Say, actually, um, I've compound fractured my leg. This is going to sound weird, but I'm going to need you to lower me as fast as you can. It doesn't hurt, but I'm worried I'm bleeding out. And then we said, hey, Graham, or I say, hey, Graham, how much um, blood is in the human body? I think he said like 6.5 liters. I'm like, ah, I think it's like 3.75. He says, why do you ask? I said, well, I'm looking at like at least a liter right here. And every time my heart's beating, just more blood is just shooting out. You know, it's like a second delay, but here comes more blood. And it, it's shooting out like it's squirting out or it's it's sort of like bubbling out. It's um, it's like it goes in spurts. It's um, basically like uh, if you had one of those old school Gatorade uh, water bottles that had the nipple twist cap as a kid and you'd like squirt them. It was just little bits of squirts of blood. Like every time my heart would beat there'd be a little bit of delay and then a little bit of blood would just squirt out onto the rock. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, man, you're bleeding out. Um, I don't know why it doesn't hurt, but Hey Graham, could you lower me as fast as you can? Um, I've messed up. You're not going to be able to lower me to the ground, but just lower me. And he goes, are you sure your leg's broken? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And Pretty sure it's, <laughs> I can see the bone poking out of my leg. So, so yeah, he lowers me. I'm probably 20, 30 feet before he has no more rope because I've climbed past my halfway point. And at this point, they I hold my leg up. They see it and they're like, holy smokes, this is uh, for real. Hey, man, what can we do? Ben Keegan, who is a nurse practitioner... Um, he immediately gets on the phone with Karsten DeLapp, who is, uh, just this really strong climber around here, head of the rescue squads and starts relaying him the information about what's going on. So Ben did a wonderful job of taking over, um, handling, you know, the medical services. Jacob says, Hey man, what can I do? I said, Jacob, is there any way that you could climb up to me? And before he started climbing, I still had a few of those pieces on my rack and I just so happened when Graham lowered me to be almost at the beginning of the crack system itself. So I was right beside my green totem. So I actually had a Petzl Vario Adjust that I had bought like the week before in um, Red River Gorge. And I didn't like it because it's mainly used for canyoneering and it has like two attachment points, but it Worked out really well in the situation, so I was able to clip one of my points directly into that green piece, and then I built another um, anchor with the gear I had on me, 
made it redundant as possible, clipped my other piece, and explained to Graham, Hey Graham, you've got me on belay from the top piece that held me. I'm backed up into this green totem, and I'm also backed up into these other pieces I've placed. I'm going to lean back and jam my leg up into this crack. Cause I'm Your good leg. Yeah, no, the, the, the leg that was broken. Because I'm thinking... I'm bleeding out like I need to get this thing above my heart as best as I can and just try to relax and take some deep breaths. And at this point, there's no pain. I mean, it's seriously, I I don't know if I just have a high pain tolerance or what. Like, it, I couldn't feel it at all. That's incredible. <laughs> like, <laughs> I go uh, negative, right? Like I'm upside down in my harness with my broken leg jammed up into the crack. And then Jacob, he was a really strong climber in himself. Um, he climbs up to me and, you know, I'm so out of it. When I first wrote my report, I thought he soloed up to me, but that's not what happened at all. He actually um, gave Graham his gree-gree. So Graham had him on his rope and he led climb up to me, placing his own gear, also clipping some of my original pieces and he also put a micro traction on my rope. So by the time he got to me, he assesses the situation. I'm like, hey man, I don't have anything communicable. I know there's a lot of blood. I don't know how unsettled you are by blood, but what do you think? And man, he just took over from there. Um, he builds an anchor himself and attaches me to him with my Petzl Vario adjusts. So now I'm clipped into him in multiple ways. So he's able to untie my rope, which was my limiting factor in getting down. And now we were able to lower with Graham lowering Jacob and I. So they lower me another 20 feet till I'm level with the ground. But the problem now is, even though I'm level with my belayer, we're still out on a ledge. So we have another, gosh, I would say 25, 35 feet of traversing over some, you know, fourth class terrain to get to um, the belay point to where like I could lay down and I guess be in a safe position. So Ben's off the phone with um, rescue at this point. Karsten is coordinated with Zach Mintz, who he sent down to the trailhead because he knew the rescuers wouldn't be able to find me given the location of the sun wall. It's just not a extremely popular climbing area just for it. It lacks in moderate routes. It's just kind of hard to get to. And so then Ben's able to put all his attention towards, okay, how can we get um, Taylor over to us? And I know this is such a huge ego thing, but I'd always thought like, man, I never want to get rescued. Like if I ever have an accident, I'm going to find a way out of there. So all I'm thinking at this point is how can I get out of here without getting rescued? And it became very evident as soon as Jacob, I tried to take a step with Jacob that there was no way I was going to be able to get out of there. The leg was hanging on by just the skin and the arteries. And it was every step I took, um, I could feel it. And so Jacob probably weighs, 
I don't know, 135 pounds. And at this point, I'm 201 pounds. And he puts me on his back and literally physically carries me the remaining 25 to 35 feet. Well, that's a good friend. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't, and I had just met him in passing at this point. Um, So, yeah, immediately became pretty good buddies at this point. Um, He's an absolute stud. And thank you, Jacob, for doing that for me. He gets me over to Graham and they're all looking at it. Um, At this point, they, we thought maybe laying down would be best, but, and I had no pain. I was like, you know what? We're not going to be able to self evac unless, you know, you cut down a bunch of trees and stabilize it. Like maybe you could in the really worst case Alpine scenario, but the rescue squad's already on the way. Let's just, you know, keep your blood pressure level high. So I took a rope, tied it around the injured leg above the knee and tied that rope up into a tree to where it was kind of hanging by the rope and didn't have to move back and forth. And Ben calls it was either a doctor or another nurse practitioner, or maybe even a paramedic. Um, it's a little hazy, but he's looking at the wound and explaining to him, Hey man, what kind of bleeding am I looking at? The guy goes, is there coagulation? Is it red? Is it light red, dark red? And he's able to assess, Hey, you're not bleeding out. It's actually coagulating. So just keep your blood pressure high. So at this point, you know, the team's worked well. Graham's done everything in his ability to get us down. Jacob quite literally did a one-man rescue. Ben called in the rescue services. Um, You've now got Carson and Zach on the way with all the rescue squad. And now we're just sitting there for I would say it was probably an hour and a half before a rescue member got there. And the first guy that arrives on the scene was so cool. Um, He had brought like some beef jerky and stuff like that, but he proceeded to like start sawing down some of the rhododendron trees to where they could place a litter there. And yeah, so the rest of the rescue services get there. They put a litter down. And, um, they give me a shot of morphine and Dilaudid, I believe. And at this point, I honestly felt like, oh, dude, I could walk out of here. Like, I don't even need you guys more. (laughs) So that was, um, transcendental experience. I never experienced a a painkiller like that. And yeah, then I would say over the next 20 minutes of them analyzing my condition, um, not setting the bone, but wrapping it and splinting it. Yes. They were making sure that, you know, I wasn't going to get any more dirt and debris in it that then was already in it. And yeah, they came up with an excellent plan. Um, they did it, they executed it flawlessly because it was some pretty tough terrain getting out of there. It was going to take quite some time to get back down because of the nature of, um, the approach they had to haul me uphill and gosh i would say maybe 150 to 200 yards of just 
stuff like you really don't even want to bushwhack through with your dogs, much less carry, you know, a 200 pound guy that's just been an idiot by falling on a route he had no business being on in the first place. So yeah, they, they reassured me all the guys were super cordial. Um, and yeah, I think over the next, honestly, couldn't tell you how long it took us to get back down to the trailhead, but I would say maybe an hour and a half, two hours. And as soon as I got down there, they put me into the back of an ambulance and I specifically remember we couldn't leave until we accounted for the dilated and morphine vials. So I think they gave me four morphine vials and two shots of dilated. And then the ambulance takes me to this place called the Fish Hatchery in Pisgah, which is basically just um, a trout raising farm where... They release them into the river every year, but more importantly, it has a big open space where a helicopter can land. The helicopter then picks me up, puts me in the back of it, and I guess out of audacity, I started my Strava just because I wanted to see how fast a helicopter could get from Pisgah to Greenville, South Carolina, and that took about 20 minutes. So it was a actually really eerie experience taking off and then like looking directly at the route that I had just, you know, fallen completely off of. But we um, make the 20 minute trip to Greenville and get to the hospital where I had a absolutely professional team. Um, the entire nursing staff at Pisma Greenville Hospital, they were amazing and offered me support and assistance every step of the way, no pun intended, as well as the orthopedic team of resident medical students that checked on me every day at 4 a.m. for three weeks, and Dr. Adams, who performed my surgery. Um, but yeah, that that more or less sums up the, the immediate aftermath of the accident and them extracting me back down and getting me to Greenville Memorial Hospital. But um, I guess it really doesn't go into you know, lessons learned or anything like that, if you would like to. Yeah, I, I am really curious um, um, what what you did learn and you what you and your partner both learned from this incident. You know, um, to quote from the Selected Climbs of North Carolina by Jan Lambert and Harrison Scholl, looking glass is an enigma relative to other climbing areas in a drivable distance. Considering the fact that you can climb true multi-day granite big wall routes that require a full arsenal of aid skills, jam hundreds of feet of splitter crack, smear and pull up 500 foot walls of eyebrows at every difficult difficulty level, I would say it's the best known climbing area in North Carolina and the South in general. That morning I was climbing on the sun wall, which is feared and conveniently overlooked by most modern climbers. The stunning section of Looking Glass is one of the cliff's hard man hangouts. Although it boasts splitter cracks to steep jug hauling to intimidating jelly rolls, the sun wall doesn't offer much in way of moderate climbing. So to harp on that point, one of the lessons was it was a complete disservice to not only myself, but more so my belay partner to take him on a route of this level of commitment. Mm-hmm. It's a very substantial route. This is a lack of judgment on my part. 
we could have easily worked up to this level of climbing instead of attacking it on basically our fifth multi-pitch climb together. I also feel, um, you know, make every piece of gear you place as solid as possible. This is a matter of life and death in some circumstances. Right. Like moving forward, definitely get more practice placing traditional gear, doing easier routes, having my gear critiqued. And if I have any doubts with an aspect of a climb, I need to assess those aspects with my partner and come up with a plan or a contingency to do something different, whether it be climb a different route or just back off for the day. The aspect in my situation was I clearly should have belayed from the shark's fin versus trying to extend the two roots together. Or or if you decided to extend the two roots together, just making sure that your you know your rope is long enough and that you have uh, the appropriate types of gear on your harness to be able to place when needed because it sounded like you only had that one number four for that big for that big crack and you just didn't have any more pieces to place. You're absolutely right. 100% right. Um, yeah. And that, and that gets back to um, looking at it. I mean, hindsight, you know, 2020, if I belay from the shark's fin, I pull my partner up there, he gets all my gear, I'm ready to go. But I wasn't thinking like that. You know, I, I was thinking, yeah, let's link these two pitches together. We'll climb it faster. You know, we'll get done. I'll get back. I'll be able to go take my exam. Let's, you know, blow off some steam. So another point is just treat every climb with the respect it deserves. You know, I went into this route as a plan to blow off some stress I'd acquired from studying for my summer exams. This route I was on, called the Odyssey, really is a final exam in itself. The route deserves so much more preparation, study, and respect than I gave it. It sounds like you had some time to recover and to process when you were in the hospital. And how's your leg doing now? It's great. I'm actually um, wearing flip-flops. Um, <laughs> you know, life is moving slower now, but I'm appreciating it. You know, just getting, uh, getting to slow down. And, you know, I'm actually went from working 40-hour weeks and doing school um, to now my brother's up here, you know, taking great care of me and I've got to devote all that time to learning. And it's been the biggest blessing, you know, the half, the, the glass is always half full. Um, you can look at this thing, you know, with two mindsets like, oh, wow, um, I've got this devastating injury that it's going to take a while to recover from. Or now I can just reorientate, recalibrate and endure and figure out a way to move forward. And that's what I'm trying to do. I worked for the Art Bound School for nine years. The founder of the school, Kurt Hahn, once said, your disability is your opportunity. And it sounds like Taylor is really finding the silver lining during his recovery. Thank you so much, Taylor, for sharing your story with us. And thank you to all the search and rescue volunteers out there. Thank you, as always, to Rocky Talkies, and thanks to the American Alpine Club. Show your support by donating on PayPal or becoming a Patreon member. The American Alpine Club podcast is about telling all kinds of stories from the climate community, breaking down the latest climbing management plan that impacts our climbing landscapes, sharing stories of climbers epicking in the mountains, trends in climbing accidents, and more. The AAC podcast preserves a legacy of legends like Yvonne Chouinard and Irene Beardsley and highlights the work of climbers who are charting the future like the Full Circle Everest team. 
Each episode delves into one of the four values of the AAC. Climb, protect, educate, and connect. You can find the American Alpine Club podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcast. Check it out. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.